detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Now Care More, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, Celestial so event. No words. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast, where the worlds of fantasy, science fiction, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Bartlebaugh, and I am joined by Bill Van Vagel. And I wanted to mention that now, from here on out, Bill will be my co-host for the Phantom Galaxy. So, Bill, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I feel like kind of like Jay Leno when Johnny Carson was kind of on hiatus, (laughs) kind of keeping the seat warm, but not exactly warm. You are always the co-host. I just couldn't scare you away immediately and tell you that was the case. <laughs> or or Conan O'Brien, I'm like the Andy Richter. That's kind of my role. Yeah, we just stand over the corner with a little comment, and I turn to you, and we need comedic relief, right? But, but I, I'm, for the audience, I'm thrilled to be on, on a more permanent basis. And I'm thrilled you're here too, Bill. And honestly, I am really looking forward to... Uh, where the show goes from here. I'm so happy that you'll be a more permanent fixture, and I really do think it makes the show a lot better. So um, I think we have a lot of really cool stuff on the horizon, which we'll talk about. We're going to talk about our October schedule here in just a few minutes, but uh, let's catch up a little bit first, Bill. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's uh, th- that I've seen or done <laughs> since last we spoke. There's a lot of things that have been happening in the world too, Bill, <laughs> since last we talked, but probably the less the less we get into that on this podcast, probably the better. But um, how are you been? How, how, how are things going? Um, right now I'm dealing with, I'm a teacher, if you didn't know. So the education system right now is, it's almost in bizarro world. I, I love my job. I absolutely love being a teacher and educating the youth. But things are changing on the fly, it almost seems like. So sometimes a good slasher or a far out there trippy movie sets me back to my happy place. That's why you spend so much time on Tubi, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, as I said on my last LOTC episode, Tubi is my arch nemesis. I can go down a dragon hole and you, you never know where you're going to end up. It's like your frenemy. Every once in a while when I go to Prime or I go to Netflix, I feel like I'm cheating on my lover. You know. <laughs> Here's a shout out to Tommy of the Real Talk Guys. He called it the Dollar General of uh, streaming services. It, it kind of is, although it's kind of like I went to see my family last weekend and we did a birthday party thing and my brother was there. He, as soon as he gets over to me, he's like, Nathan, you have you ever looked at Tubi? And he's like so excited telling me about this thing that's going to blow my mind. And I was like, oh, let me show you the podcast. <laughs> Where we've got a guy who does Tubi Roulette because he's like, it's amazing. It's like when we used to we used to work for a video store back in the day uh, when we were in our teens, a local one called Dollar Video. <laughs> it was like perusing the shelves of Dollar Video. And indeed, that is kind of what Tubi is. And uh, it's funny. I, I just went on Tubi while we've been sitting here talking. And to talk about the diversity of Tubi. So you go from Terminator 
Genesis, which is about a pretty decent budget. And it says, if you like that, you might also like, and below it's Badass 2 with Danny Trejo and Danny Glover. That's to be in a nutshell. <laughs> that is. And then you just keep following that link until you have three degrees below that movie. And eventually what you'll do is you find yourself back at Terminator, but it won't be Terminator. It'll be The Terminators with a Z on the end, and it'll be some sci-fi movie. And there you have it. I wanted to take a moment and talk about stuff I'm really excited about for this upcoming month of October. And this episode is the very first episode of our horror-centric or Halloween-centric October episodes. And and to be honest, I haven't thought of, oh, maybe we'll call it the Haunted Galaxy or something. Phantom Galaxy is already spooky enough, right? It's got ghosts in the title. so. But uh, for our month of October, we'll be having several episodes with several guests. And just wanted to give you an idea of what's coming up with that. This first one is underrated horror movie. So Bill and I are going to pick a few uh, four movies each and talk and, and about the, and, those. And you guys are going to like this. It's a lot of fun. You guys are going to love yeah, this. Yeah, we, we, in Phantom Galaxy, in its previous incarnations, we as long as we were around, we always did episodes that were sort of underrated horror movies for uh for october for halloween so we'll do that it's uh eight movies total that they're not necessarily all halloween centric but we're they're movies that we think you might have overlooked and that are worth your time and then after that we have a couple episodes we have a vod roulette that we recorded that we're looking to release and we also have a twilight zone episode i've been really excited about this uh it's been in the can for a bit but uh jay wall from jay versus horror is coming on uh he and i talked the first six episodes of the series the just the very first six and we talked a little bit about rod serling and the episode that sort of helped inspire the twilight zone and things like that and we covered in depth all six of those first episodes and uh looking forward to see your feedback we'll see uh where that series goes but really excited about that love the twilight zone i think that's gonna be a lot of fun perfect for the season twilight zone is good any time of year but it's a great it's a great thing to share i think in october and it's great for all audiences mostly so really excited about that episode and then we have one that's going to be really cool, and it, it dovetails perfectly because this week Netflix just dropped uh, the Haunting of Bly Manor, the series that sort of takes inspiration from Henry James' Turn of the Screw. But Phantom Galaxy is going to bring you an episode. It'll be dropping at the end of next week, uh, end of next week, beginning of uh, the week, that will cover The Innocence, the Jack Clayton movie from the early 60s with Deborah Carr. And Bill and I will be joined, I'm so excited about this, by uh, Pastor Matt Rawlings and his son Jackson from Father and Son Watch Horror. They're going to come on and join us, and we're going to kind of break down The Innocence, which is one of my all-time favorite horror movies, and certainly probably my all-time favorite supernatural horror movie. So I'm pretty excited about that. How about you, Bill? I am. Uh, audience, if you guys are not familiar with Jackson and Matt Rawling, they're fantastic. Jackson is now in his first year of university. He's got uh, a mind of somebody who's well beyond his years in cinema, and so it's going to be a real blast. And people, watch your windows because you never know who's watching. For the, the rest of the, the, the month, we've got some really cool things coming as well. So an episode where we're focusing specifically on fiction, on short stories uh, that are great for the holiday, perfect for October, perfect for Halloween. And uh, short stories by Ray Bradbury, stories by Stephen King. We're going to, Bill and I are both going to bring some to the table. But our guest for that episode is going to be... Uh, Victor Rodriguez, or Vicious Victor, if you've, if you've heard him on Land of the Creeps. He was on recently on an episode about Poe. Uh, he's kind of all around in the community. He's written a book of short stories called The Sound of Fear, which I got a chance to read recently, and 
It's really good. Uh, we're going to be able to talk to him about his book, about his writing, about his uh, the experiences that sort of shaped his view on horror. And he's going to share his top ten best stories, uh, stories that he thinks are kind of the top ten go-tos for Halloween reading, for October reading. So I think that's going to be a ton of fun. I'm really excited about that. I've been wanting to do a book episode since I started the podcast. And to have an actual author on, I think that's going to be great. So. And it makes me feel like I have to go do some homework because I have to do a little bit of extra reading. <laughs> and, and, and that'll be the fun part, too. We'll be able to share those out with everybody and give you some reading that you can that you can kind of uh, have during the holiday. But if reading is not exactly your thing and you're still looking for some scary, spooky stories, we have another episode that will be coming uh, a little bit after Victor's. So as we head into the last week of Halloween, we're going to have two special episodes. One of those is going to be uh, audio recordings of... Scary stories of spooky stories, stories that, yes, there are stories that are in the public domain. They're classic horror stories. And we're going to have a, several different narrators joining us to do that. They'll be kind of a fun surprise. And we're going to put that together as sort of an anthology in the Tales from the Crypt or, you know, kind of vibe or Tales from the Dark Side, that, that sort of idea that there'll be four or five stories kind of packaged together to uh, to have for the holiday. That if you want to listen to it on Halloween, you want to listen to it before Halloween, we'll have that out a few days ahead of time. It's, it, it's, the, it's the perfect thing to listen to if you're commuting f- to and from work. Yes, I love listening to audio uh, horror podcast and actually on that episode I will make sure um, whether it's on the Victor episode probably on the episode with Victor I will take a couple minutes just to uh, highlight a couple of podcasts that are a lot of fun in that in that vein of audio horror so then when we we get to Halloween we're going to have a special episode where we bring on Greg Morgan from Land of the Creeps he's going to talk trick-or-treat from the 80s a horror film not the Michael Doherty one but the one with Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne, the kind of heavy metal. Rock on, rock on! The rock horror film. I'm really excited about that. I like that movie. And I I think Greg does too. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. But we're also going to kind of have him on and we're going to talk kind of Halloween favorites. Halloween favorite candies, maybe favorite costumes, favorite moments or traditions from from the Halloweens that you've ever experienced. And we're going to, I was going to say, we're going to have to remember to get Pearl to put her list in. Because her candy list will be off the charts. That will make an appearance. But we also were going to kind of talk about like some favorite Halloween TV specials and stuff like that. So it'll just be kind of fun. Um, that'll be the Halloween party culmination of everything. So it's ambitious. We have a lot of this stuff set up and already some of it's already been uh, recorded. So uh, really excited. Going to be fun as a way just to kind of jump uh, jumpstart the show again. And uh, November's going to be a lot of fun too. We have a lot of stuff that's that's lined up or on the, on the menu there. We're going to have... Um, a lot, a lot of different people coming on, so I will, we'll kind of share that uh, as we get a little bit closer. All I'll, te- all I'll tease them with is it's hairy creatures that smell in the forest. <laughs> yeah, that's some of them. Yeah, and, uh, and unrelated to hairy creatures. We are going to have Brian Carlson from Married with Cinema. He's he's working on a uh, a series of me on um, Don Coscarelli. We went through Don Coscarelli's book, um, True Confessions of an Indie Filmmaker, which is a really fun read. And I'm very thankful that the library during this quarantine didn't didn't decide to charge me for the overdue notice because I think I would have owed like sixty dollars on the book. But we're uh, going through that. That's going to be a two part series. Now that'll be coming uh, at the very beginning of November, along with some other goodies and a really really awesome podcast involving uh, a sci fi classic 
that I got to review with a whole bunch of people. So we will talk a little bit more about those, but that's what's coming up. Just wanted to give you a feel for it. And uh, I'm really excited, and I'm excited about tonight's episode, Bill. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Absolutely. Let's get this thing a-going. <laughs> and I do miss going to the movies, and I, I keep seeing constantly we are, I think, if you're a movie fan, it, it's kind of a toss-up because I have not been back to the regular movie theaters. I know, Bill, you. we can talk about that in a minute because I think you and your wife just went a couple weeks ago, right? We decided to have date night because it was the first time I had been out since mid-February with my wife. And I hadn't gone more than 40 kilometers in either direction for six months. So we decided to go out and... Our local theaters are open, socially distanced, so you buy the seats in advance, and you get a spot in the theater, and you're maybe, I'm going to say three, four meters, which is like 12 feet away from the next person. So they're no no more than about a third full at the best of times. But we went on uh, Friday night at 6 o'clock, and it was us two and another gentleman from the entire theater, and we saw Empire Strikes Back. And I had seen that. My father had taken me in 1981, and I hadn't seen it since. Really? You had gone that long without seeing Empire Strikes Back? Gone that long since seeing front to back. Like, There's going to be Yoda scenes that I've seen, and there's going to be Chewbacca scenes, and there's going to be Luke, I am your father kind of deal. But, oh, sorry, is that a spoiler for somebody? I, I <laughs> it's a spoiler for someone. <laughs> Probably no one listening to this podcast. But, um, so to actually just sit... And it's funny, watching uh, Empire Strikes Back, anybody who's listening who's a sci-fi, horror fan, movie fan, it's interesting watching because you can tell at certain parts that, yeah, this is a 42-year-old film or whatever, and I get it. But on the other hand, you can tell the money thrown into it is still better than half the movies that are out there now. So, yeah, some of it does look like you blow and it'll come over. But at other parts, you're like, Damn, this is still good. Troma would kill for this stuff. Most big budget movies would kill for at least conceptually how it's designed. That that battle on the ice planet, we saw it at the at the drive-in over the summer, and it is still conceptually like brilliant. It you look like you're watching a real strategic or military battle. And that, I mean, even in Michael Bay films, you don't get that. You know what I mean? There's a loss of a sense of geography in a lot of action movies. And watching that scene, it's like, wow, this is about what you would feel a battle between uh, spaceships. And I don't know why these giant mobile things have four legs. That makes no sense. But you get an idea that that's about how this fight would go down. And, and like, there's certain things watching it as a 46-year-old that you miss watching as a 7-year-old. And, and and all the, the, the sexual tension and the interplay between Mark Hamill and Princess Leia and Han Solo and all that, like, it's funny to watch now because you know that that's, be, that's there because the audience is bringing their kid there at that point. And so it's there to keep the adult entertained while the kid just likes all the choo-choo-choo-choo. And the other part is I had totally forgotten about Billy D. Williams. I was like, holy crap, there's Billy D. Williams. Oh, yeah, and he's all snazzy, and he could have his Colt 45 in his hand, <laughs> just like wandering around this cloud city. But, uh, yeah, all that stuff is so cool. It's so there are, It feels like there's four or five mini-movies within this Star Wars movie, and I think that's what makes it work is each new place is interesting. Each new place has a set of new characters that are interesting, and that's where the newer movies fail, I think. It's not even so much the stories. It's that you're not giving us anything fresh 
There's no newness. There's still a sense of newness watching it all these years later. It's one of those movies that like crosses one of the first ones I can recall that kind of crossed three or four different genres because there's definitely a fantasy element down there with Yoda. There's definitely an action element with all of the fighting scenes. There's definitely a sci-fi element with it being in space and the uh, technology. There's also horrific elements and then it's a, a horrific situation that they got to deal with. And there's a, a practical makeup involved and stuff like there's three or four genres. And at the end of the day, it's just solid filmmaking. That's what that film was. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a pulp story told with a lot of confidence that I, that wasn't necessarily replicated in many of the other movies, but we had a fun time watching it when we went to the, the drive-in, which is the only theater we've been to. I'm working my way up to. I was I was really ready to get myself back into a headspace to go to the theater to see. Uh, originally, it was going to be the new Halloween, right? And then they moved that back, and then it was going to be Candyman, and they moved that back. And then I was like, well, for sure, I'll get to go see the uh, James Bond movie. And then they moved that back, and then today they moved Dune back. So I probably who knows when I'm going back to the movies. Yeah, I, I was. We were debating. I could have seen Empire Strikes Back or Tenet. Yeah, I want to see Tenet. I really do. I just haven't gotten out yet to to do so. But the the, the, the differentiating factor was Tenet is two and a half hours, and we wanted to make sure we got to the Japanese restaurant before it closed. So that half hour made the difference. Nice, nice. And what did you have at the Japanese restaurant? Oh, it was all you can eat, but it's all you can eat a la carte. So you order a little piece of, um, you know, teriyaki salmon, and then you have a little bit of uh, teppanyaki, and then oh, you have a little oh, yeah. bit of, you know, and so so it's all these little dim sum dishes that come to you, but they're piping hot. So you you know you take you take something that's been dipped in the batter, and you have like it's broccoli, and you just burn that roof of your tongue. You know? Yeah, I haven't been back yet to the to the regular traditional theater. We've been to the drive-in. The drive-in this weekend is playing Hocus Pocus, so I'm thinking I might try to take my kids to that. Do we have been trying to do here on our end the you know I, I know everyone likes to do the like 31 days up to Halloween where you start with October 1st and we watch a movie or read a story or you know tell some ghost stories and we managed to we managed to do it every day so far and we've we've done a couple fun things we did watch the Hammer version of the Mummy the other night the colorized version which was a lot of fun but i think my kids are kind of spoiled by seeing the mummy in the newer movies you know the both the Tom Cruise one not because of the quality of those movies but uh and the Brendan Fraser one but because in those movies the Imhotep characters and i guess it was a female mummy in the last one they have powers to control like the weather they can control the insects and the the old school guy doesn't have anything other than he just goes and then chokes you out Wearing these soiled bandages, and yeah, but but back then it was all about the mood, the music, the lighting, you know. Like, yeah, like, like the writing wasn't any hell. I I love Hammer films are one of my fetishes. I I love Hammer films. Anything by Terrence Fisher, or anything by any of those guys, you know. Like, yes, Christopher Lee has his moments. Yes, Peter Cushing has his moments, and 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 those old films, but they're not exactly Oscar-winning dialogue, you know. No, and I think the Hammer movies, the the Universal movies, I think were much better written by and large. I know that the Hammer movies sometimes don't necessarily feel like they're written, except they're more like sort of pasted together. You know, from a like we here's the professor character that will come in and say something, and every time you know a drunk is going to wander out of the bushes and watch the mummy slash wolfman slash Frankenstein creature wander by and then scratch his head, and if he doesn't get mauled to death, he'll be lucky. Yeah, and he uses the same corral of the fifteen actors and 
they all make their way onto a set and then you know they're all shot at like shepperton studios in england or whatever so or some kind of abandoned abbey from 1780 well that's it gives a real ambiance particularly some of the later hammer movies but they're a lot of fun because primarily the ones that we've watched have been the black and white mummy movies so the hammer movies had that and that was their draw at the time they're very vibrant they're so full of color you, you know you can really see the saturated rot on the, on the mummy's bandages the hammer films had like three things going for them they, they were brilliant color at a time when you know, other than Gone with the Wind or some exceptional film, they didn't have them. Secondly, is you got lots of gore, not gore so much as just blood and action. And three, heaving women in bustiers. And that's pretty much what Hammer gave you, right? Yeah, that that was their, I think that was mostly their appeal. Although, to be perfectly fair, you do have a lot of great British actors waiting in the wings to say something pithy. Character actors and a lot of guys that you know, in the British TV and the stage scene got well known, but across the pond over here, we wouldn't have known if it wasn't for. Yeah, and it is, you know, it, it's almost a double-edged sword with some of those guys. And Christopher Lee, I mean, such a great actor, but I think you could make the case that a lot of times, even in the Hammer films, he was underused. You know, uh, The Mummy, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know. Um, and, of course, there was one Dracula movie where the dialogue was so bad he refused to speak at all. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was by the fourth one, he was like, I'm only, I think he said eight words an entire hour and a half or something. Yeah. <laughs> Within the drive-in, I've seen in the last two months, Beetlejuice, The Lost Boys, Stand By Me, and Nightmare on Elm Street, all in the drive-in. That's a fun lineup. That's a great lineup. We've, yeah, we've been about seven times. The last time we went was Men in Black and The Goonies, which was a kind of fun, family-friendly stuff. So tonight we are going to start out what we feel are underrated horror movies out to you they give you some choices as you're making your own watch lists for october and for things like that so we'll get started here right now with that we'll do i think we'll each let's do about four each bill we'll go back and forth okay well just to give the audience full disclosure when uh nathan and i were discussing this i don't know a couple weeks back I kind of just, every time a horror or sci-fi or genre movie kind of popped into my head that I thought, eh, people don't know about it, eh, I think they should get more exposure to. I'm now up to about 40. So I am good <laughs> to do one of these until the end of 2021. <laughs> I know, I'm still sitting here thinking, I think I have to solidify my movies. You're like, I have 40 different ones. I was like, well, don't steal one of my four. <laughs> okay, so the first one I'm going to go with is one that's near and dear to my heart. And near and dear to my house. And that's 2008's Pontypool. Oh, very cool. And very cool. And for anybody that's more on the sci-fi end and not as much on the horror end, Pontypool, I'll give you the IMDB synopsis. It says a radio host interprets the possible outbreak of a deadly virus which infects the small Ontario town he is stationed in. And it's directed by Bruce McDonald, a well-known Canadian director who's kind of a little bit edgier. And it's based on a book by Tony Burgess, uh, Pontypool Saves the World, I believe it's called. Yep. And it stars one of my favorite actors out there, genre actors and outside of the genre, Mr. Stephen McCaddy. And Stephen McCaddy, if you've seen anything else that he's been in, he gives it his all. But this, I think, is his penultimate performance. And he is a radio DJ in the small town of Pontypool, Ontario. It is an actual town. It's about 
oh, 30 kilometers northeast of me. I drive through it, and the only zombies I ever see there are waiting in line at the coffee shop. There's no real zombies that I've ever seen. But Stephen McCaddy is a is one of these big town shock jocks. He comes into the small town because he's lost his job. He needs a job. He needs income. He's obviously a little long in the tooth. He's probably in his mid-50s, late 40s, mid-50s in this film. And he's talking about the small-time news, you know, And he's but he's trying to sex it up a bit in terms of make things splashy, make things flashy, kind of talk about the jibber, the jabber of the local politics. And really, the people in town just want to know about, are the buses running? Is the mail running? Is the local high school putting their play up? Is the local hockey rink? teams playing that's what they're looking for and so they're doing like a radio play with all these people and and, and these news reports start coming in of disturbances in the town and you know things start to go to go to pot they kind of have people on the on the road there they have people that are giving reports back and people start to become quote unquote infected I'm going to kind of leave it at there because this is a movie if you like a smartly written film I know you think zombie and you're like, oh, God, I've seen 750 of these. You don't get a lot of gore. So if there's somebody that's kind of got a, a somebody who's 13, 14 year old son, daughter, niece, nephew, this would be a good one to give them. You might see the zombies two or three times in the whole film. It's all built on suspense. It's all built on that one location, small town narrative in this radio station in Pontypool, Ontario, and it's this little radio station. I'm not going to say how the infection is spread, but it's done in a creative way that I haven't seen in any other film. And how they get out of it, it's not your typical siege narrative. I'll just put it at that. So if you want a zombie slash horror slash one location film where you kind of feel a little claustrophobic, but in a good way. This is well-written characters, quirky characters, very Canadian, but I think a film that's criminally underseen. And it has definitely developed a bit of a following, but I think that's simply because it is so good. And because it's that good, I concur that it is underrated because if I'm being honest, I really feel like this is one of the best I'd say horror films, but one of the best genre movies to come out of the 2000s in general. is right at the end of it, like 2010. But uh, you could even say the, the, the rest of the next, next decade, too. It was just a fantastic movie. Zombie movies had already started to lose their luster. You know, once in a while you'd have a zombie land, I think, came out the same year. And there were a couple other movies that you'd hit a new note. But they were already starting to kind of deteriorate again. You know, they were going back into rigor mortis about this time and this movie is original and it's it's exciting and you're right it doesn't leave that location and in fact not only does it not leave that location i would say two-thirds of the movie are inside the booth where the only person inside that booth is mchattie's character i mean there are long sequences the most desolate sequences of the movie when the most crazy things are happening out in the world at large the only thing you're looking at are McCaddy's craggy looking face and his eyes as he's processing what people are telling him across this, you know, the the dark airwaves. We re- reviewed a movie on the very first episode when we came back to this, Vast of Night, and I kind of feel like Pontypool plays in a similar 
Sandbox is that movie. I think Pontypool is actually a little bit more effective, but it is very suspenseful. It's very intelligent. It's very creepy. It's a great horror movie, but it's just also a great movie. And McCaddy, I think, gives his best performance I've seen him give. And it's, it's interesting that on the IMDb, the first qualification for this film isn't horror, it's fantasy. So it does kind of play on that, let your imagination run a little bit. This is a War of the Worlds is what this is. The 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 Mercury Theater War of the Worlds, that's kind of what they're doing with this movie. They, they don't spoon feed you. Your imagination and your intelligence kind of gets you there. It does, yeah. It's a great film to watch in the dark. It's a great film to watch if you're introducing somebody into the genre in their early teens. I just bloody well love this film. So if you haven't seen it, I cannot recommend this movie enough. And I do agree, Bill, what you just said. It's perfectly palatable for people who aren't into horror. You know, this could be more of a suspense. I think it has the texture of a very fearsome Twilight Zone episode. If you're not a horror fan, but you like like quarantine-type films with uh, one of those infection-type films. Yeah, there's no brain-eating or anything like no, that. No, there's no brain-eating. There's... A little bit of blood, but not much. The, the most blood you see is against the radio uh, booth yeah, than you yeah. do from people outside. So, yeah, what was the one with Dustin Hoffman? Was it Quarantine? Outbreak. Uh, outbreak. Yeah. You know, if you like a, an outbreak, you'll love Pool. If you just like a well-written script. Honestly, if you're a fan of the kind of movies the Coen brothers make, you'll like this movie. I mean, it is, it's not easily pigeonholed into a genre, and McCaddy will kind of, he's like the driving, he's the engine, right? He'll get you kind of where you need to go. So, my first underrated horror movie is an older one, and it's not, I wouldn't say that it is quality-wise on the same level as Pontypool, uh, but it is a movie that I enjoy, that I saw when I was much younger, and that's probably plays into some of my nostalgia. But it's from 1971. It's called Let's Scare Jessica to Death, directed by John Hancock. And I really don't hear people talk about this movie a lot. I think people tend to remember the nature of it without knowing what movie it actually is. Have you ever seen this one, Bill? I have, but it's it's been ages. I remember it, it being the lighting not being the best. It's been an old house uh, and some circumstances around the house but you're going to have to fill in the gaps for me here. Yeah, right. So you've described you described almost every horror movie from the 70s <laughs> in the general in the general lay of the land. But you're absolutely kind of right that te- technically speaking, when I think of this movie, and I think it's because of how atmospheric this movie is, um, the way that Hancock puts it together, it has that feeling of almost any dreamy gothic spook story that you've ever seen. You know, kind of ghostly mystery and it kind of makes sense because it's really hammered together from a couple of different sources you're starting to watch it and you're getting that vibe of like uh the turn of the screw by henry james or the haunting of hill house you know it's you've got this woman who she's in a mental hospital at the beginning of the story and then she's released and she kind of is back with her husband who's taking care of her and they're in this rundown kind of ramshackle it's like i guess it's a farmhouse really it's not quite like a gothic mansion but upstate new york and upstate new york always has those really nice like uh shots that are both kind of haunting and a little a little suspect but also kind of pastoral so the end of this storyline, you're watching and you're kind of waiting for the ghost to kind of show up, right? And suddenly you have this drifter character who comes through. It's kind of a hitchhiker or something. And she's 
already there. She's kind of squatting there when they get there. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'll go on. She has a whole story about why she's there and, and there's a misunderstanding. But then Jessica, who who was Jessica, who's been out of the hospital and who's dealing with her own mental health, says, no, no, you can stay with us. And after that, things start to get really weird because you have this sort of, not surprisingly, there's a bit of a love triangle that's happening. And Jessica, her her mind starts messing with her, or we're not quite sure. She's hearing voices. She is seeing people from a distance who then disappear. And you have all of this very... Um, traditional ghost story imagery happening but then it kind of takes a turn and and goes into a different direction and we start to feel that maybe this isn't really the innocence as much as it is uh, like based off of sheridan lafano's novel carmilla about the vampire girl who comes into a scenario and starts to sort of seduce all the other characters and pit them against each other and so then there's this vampire storyline that starts to come to the fore but then there's stuff going on with the townspeople and it's possible that the townspeople themselves that there's another supernatural element going on with them so not the whole movie doesn't necessarily make perfect sense but it has a kind of dream logic to it that if you go all the way back to like the Carl Dreyer's version of Vampire, which is also sort of based off of Carmilla, it has a very kind of dreamlike, but also there's a there's a lazy sort of very uh, melancholy vibe to the movie. It just sort of drifts along, and as it drifts along, you keep seeing the spooky imagery and these spooky elements, and they they keep kind of uh snowballing but when you get to the end of the movie it kind of just washes over you and then you can you know sort of whiff through the neurons and then back out the other side and you're left with the impression that i saw something that was very pretty and it was very well done and it was kind of creepy but i don't know how much it resonates because like you said you it's sort of when i think of it initially my first memory is oh that was a, a creepy old dark house movie and yet it kind of isn't and so revisiting it i kind of reminded of how much fun it is to watch and i think it just with the color design and everything in the movie and the performances it is a great like full kind of movie without the i don't think it quite tilts into full horror i think a horror fan who's looking for something really intense isn't going to find it here but it's a fun movie and i think it's one that is overlooked because it does have a lot of interesting things that it's doing I was going to say, and there is something to be said for watching a movie in the season in which it's set. Yes, and that has this feel. It's a very, it's a perfect sort of fall movie. You could watch it in tandem with some of these other more fearsome movies from that time frame, or you could watch it with something like The Changeling with George C. Scott, and that actually might be a good pairing to put them together because they both deal with that same sort of mindset, the mindset that you would find in a classic it's it's funny you mentioned the changeling because I actually considered putting this on this list, but I thought the changeling had probably gotten its due. It but in a sense it hasn't because it's I mean it's from nineteen seventy nine or whatever it is. So it doesn't get brought up that much, but it, it does get some pretty good props when people talk about it. Yeah, I think so. And I believe when our first uh not not since you've been with us, Bill, but on the first underrated horror movie episode, I think the changeling was brought up. And I think even a few years ago it was probably even then a little less recognized than it is. Now, I do feel that The Changing is one 
But I think over time, particularly with the internet, it started to build a following again. And I think there's a lot of people out there who saw that when they were, they were younger, and some of those images stuck with you. Now, you may have images in your mind from this movie, and I bet you that you might not be able to pinpoint what the movie is. But let's scare Jessica to death. I highly recommend it. You're going to have a lot of fun watching it. Don't expect it to make a ton of sense, but it makes a certain, it makes a certain horror logic sense. Yeah, and I mean, anything with a good atmosphere, and, and sometimes, I mean, you'll be the first to admit as well, sometimes low budget works for a film. And just in the, the crappy lighting and stuff and the weird setting and whatever, and because of budgetary reasons, they have to get a certain type of, it, it can always help the atmosphere of a movie. And, you know, and it's funny, though, because this movie actually looks pretty good. Like, it doesn't look cheap. It has a, it has almost a poetic sort of sense to it, an artistic sense to it. It is funny, I was reading that the original, the original script for this movie was very, very different from what they ended up with. And then when they were originally working on it, the uh, original screenwriter, the movie was called It Drinks Hippie Blood. So oh, really? it was such a completely, there was about a bunch of hippies where they were in a cove and they were being attacked by a water monster. And that is so different from what ends up on screen. Can't imagine how the two are connected at all. What's it? it seems like he just took the first script and mashed it into his hands and threw it into the trash and started over. So what else do you have? Okay, so my second one, anybody who knows me at all or listens to me knows affinity for old films i kind of have a genre from about 68 to 78 yet uh, my first three films i'm going to talk about are all in the 2000s all in the later 2000s and the next one that came into my head that i thought people don't talk about is a 2011 comedy horror called inbred i have not seen this movie so here's the imd synopsis it's from 2011 came out in 2012 in the uk Four young offenders and their care workers visit the remote Yorkshire village of Mortlake, which prides on keeping itself to itself. A minor incident with locals rapidly escalates into a blood-soaked, deliriously warped nightmare. Here's kind of the deal. There's these group of four, I can't remember, four or five youth that have dealt with uh, some pretty shady pasts. And they're taking one of those diversion programs where if they kind of get through this and they put their time in, they'll end up with a clean bill of health at the end. But they have to go through the process of helping a community kind of build itself up. They go to this English town. It's out in the moors. They have to, I forget what it is. There's a building they have to build up. It's all these guys in their late teens, early 20s. There's females involved at all. They start to run into some of the locals. One of them gets a violent confrontation. One of them gets seriously injured, and they have to go back to the local pub to get some help and some medical help. People there are, are seemingly, they're odd. They, the owner of the bar is helpful to a point, and then kind of crap hits the fan. These people that are inbred all have a desire to want to keep themselves to themselves and they and an almost theatrical circus occurs within the town set up for the amusement of others it involves the torture and or punishment of these people and there is one uh, gentleman that's the ringleader james doherty and people have creepy masks and it becomes a survival film and it's weird quirky characters and one by one people start getting pinged off and who's going to live who's going to survive it's a weird film. 
but it's a heck of a lot of fun. There's a particular kill with the foot of an elephant. What? Yes, that you're not going to soon forget. It's a, 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 call me freaky, call me weird, call me odd. I enjoy this film. And anybody who's listening who's from the UK probably knows this film better than I. I have questions. I have so many questions. And I see that it's on Prime. If you get Prime, you don't have to pay any extra for it. It's on Prime, at least in Canada. I'm sure in the States it is. Check it out. Please do. It's it's it's. But it's not so gory that you're not going to want to watch because there is lots of comedy involved. But it's a dark comedy. So... Give it a give it a check, please do. Let me ask a couple questions, Bill. So, it's you mentioned you you alluded to that you know the town kind of wants to torture people. So they this is not, however, a torture film. I'm assuming. No, it's it's not a saw. It's is it closer to like a Peter Jackson film? That's the vibe I'm sort of getting. Peter Jackson in the in the uh, mood that's created, but it is darker. There okay. is there is a sense of fear within the film. But it is played off not like you're not watching Hostile. But there are elements to that in it. You know, you're, you're kind of thinking like the, the Sawyer family. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. That kind of vibe. And the elephant, It's you mentioned that. I remember years ago there was a Sinbad movie and not one of the cool Harry House ones, but one of the really low budget ones where the I remember that the princess was – they laid her out and they said, okay, Sinbad, if you don't get by back here by a certain time with whatever magical artifact that the princess is going to die, execution by elephant foot slowly, you know, descending and stepping on her midsection. And it sounds like maybe we get something like that in this movie, in this film. This, this is uh, when they get to the performance aspect to it. It's theater of the bizarre. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. It, that total, it totally sounds like that in theater of the bizarre sounds like, because some of the stuff you were describing sounds off the wall but i tend to like off the wall and i do tend to like the these sorts of droll english horror films that are able to blend the sinister with the sort of amusing or you know offbeat so no i look forward to checking that one out because i i didn't even know it existed but i tend to enjoy those sorts of movies in fact i heard you review one on LOTC just recently called Get Duped that I really want to see that I think is also on Amazon Prime that sounds like it might they might make a great double feature with Inbred. Yeah, anybody that hasn't seen Get Duped, check that out. It's it's more comedy than horror, but it's a little bit of play on the world's most dangerous game with a bit of hip hop music and a little bit of survival. It's it's a fun film too. So I will stick with the horror comedy sort of uh vein then and the movie i want to mention is a movie that i i would say it's underrated i'm probably in the realm of people who are really into horror films probably know this movie and have enjoyed it i don't know if they probably watched it recently and when i first saw the movie my first instinct was to think that it was a kind of watered down version of other horror comedies that i liked better at the time but this was the 90s i was also a kind of uh snarky teenager and so i had a lot of thoughts that you know oh if this movie isn't like this then it's not that good but over time uh, this movie's grown on me a lot it has a lot of elements of probably stoner comedy to it and then of course kind of goofy gore comedy to it but this is idle hands from 1999 oh i I i thought we were going down evil bong territory here i i think that at some point the uh, primary evil in the movie they do get it high but any (laughs) it's a little higher caliber than evil bong i'm not 
Evil Wong's a full moon movie, I think, not a, and it's a, it's pretty schlocky. Have you seen Idle Hands though with Devin Sawa? Yeah, but honestly, probably not since about 1989. 99. No, or 99, sorry. It, it would be like a first time watch for me, probably now. Well, it's funny because going back to it, and I had not seen it, I don't think, since 99. I caught it just recently. It's easy, I think, to dismiss because it isn't as intense as The Evil Dead. And it isn't as... It's got that Fright Night kind of horror feel to it. But it never quite gets... It doesn't quite develop enough into a full-blown horror movie that would be scary in any way. It almost There's times when you almost feel like you're watching a 50s kind of teens versus the monster movie. And other times you do feel like you're watching a stoner comedy. And then other times you feel like you could be watching an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, Seth Green is in this too, and Eldon Henson. And they're the two friends who are kind of dispatched pretty quickly. And they come back a la American Werewolf in London where they're the dead corpses who ended up not going into the light because it was too far to walk, and they decided to just sit on the couch, and that's how they got left behind. And then they're trying to help Sawa's character, who wakes up to find his parents murdered, and Fred Willard has a nice, who sadly passed this summer, he's got a little cameo in here. All the things that happen, you start to have this this idea that something's gone wrong, and that Devin Sawa's hands have been become possessed by the devil and are therefore or some sort of demonic force and eventually the hand is separated from his body and it goes on like a killing spree this movie's basically just nonsense but i think it's a lot of fun nonsense it's not quite like that it is, i believe it's an r-rated film so it's not quite at that level of this is a gateway a good gateway horror movie for little kids but i think if you've got that teenager who is interested in movies like Fright Night, would be interested in movies like, you know, the I Know What You Did Last Summer's, but is looking for something just a little sillier. Like, to me, this movie has aged better than some of those other movies because it has a very schlocky kind of B-movie tone to it. And when the hand goes on its rampage, it gets pretty creative and pretty bloody. But I think it's a fun, it's just fun. I, I can't say that it goes any great places. It doesn't get particularly deep or introspective, but you can have a lot of fun with it. I, I like that uh, that the the hand eventually you see it running around like you know the uh, thing from the Adams family, but it bursts out of unlikely places and causes all kinds of havoc. So I'd say Idle Hands. You have to definitely check your brain at the door, and you also have to go into it with a sense of humor. It's, if you've seen all the Evil Dead movies. And for some reason, you, or the Peter Jackson movies, and you haven't seen Idle Hands, it's not a bad. It's not a bad place to start. So it's a it's a nice combo. If you watch Bad Taste, and then you watch <laughs> um, something uh, more like uh, what's the one where the toilet blows up? Street Trash. Yes, this is training wheels for all that. Idle Hands is is maybe your first venture into that world. Or um, what was the movie we watched? Body Melt. Body Melt. <laughs> This is this is your kindergarten level, and then you. Yes, this is right. You're you're on your baby steps to body melt at this point, and, and eventually you get into from beyond. Like it, it takes you to a different. So, so somewhere on that level, but Idle Hands. It's not. I'm not. This is not my top ten underrated horror movies, but I do think it's underrated because I think people tend to they put it in with that dude. Where's my car? And all those sorts of like. They had a whole bunch of 90s slacker stoner movies, like Half-Baked. And I think Idle Hands gets lumped there when it probably doesn't belong there. Well, and I mean, anything with Seth Green is going to be quirky. You know it is. Yes. And, but he's, he's a fun he, – he gets crapped on a lot. He's a fun actor. I really like Seth Green. 
And he's a lot of fun here. And Eldon Henson, who went on to be in the Daredevil TV show, but he was from Mighty Ducks, and he was also a really good 90s uh, movie for kids called The Mighty. He's in here, and he's the other stoner guy. And Devin Sawa, of course, went on to do Final Destination. But if you ask me, I like this one better than Final Destination. Yeah, the Final Destinations, again, they were kind of at a certain level, the teeny-ish horror, but they had some pretty cool kills. So uh, it, it all kind of comes around in the same universe, right? So that's good. I haven't I haven't seen that in so long. It makes me want to have to go check it out again. And I think it's streaming somewhere right now. I think it's on one of the streaming services. It's, it's funny. This th- What I'm going to say isn't horror or sci-fi related at all, but has anybody here seen the trailer to the new Borat? <laughs> I have not. Well, Sam, the only other person here that can answer you. Uh, I guess. <laughs> right. I, I haven't, but I saw the picture for it. Does it, does it look funny? I mean, I, la- I laughed a lot during Borat, but uh, I know most of his, it was diminishing returns for most of his other stuff. Well, well, that's, uh, I, I, I saw the trailer for it, and I'm like, you know, you can tell it's age 20 years. Or, no, not quite 20, but a, a good 15. But at the same time, you know, the elements of Borat are still there. I think it's one of those ones where the trailer probably doesn't do it enough justice. You have to see the whole piece. Yeah, and I, I will definitely check it out. I mean, I enjoyed his, was it This Is America that he did? Uh, a few years ago, he had a TV show where he had kind of, he was going out and my gosh, the things that he got some of these people to admit to and to say was astounding. So, I mean, but, I've, um, t- I've taken us off track, but there is one scene where uh, he somehow gets himself into a cabin with these people that live out in God's country. And uh, Borat is trying to kill the coronavirus with his shoe by knocking it against the wall. I will say the very first one when I saw it in the theater I have never, ever in my life as a moviegoer laughed so hard. Well, I don't think anybody knew what to expect, that movie's insane. <laughs> when his companion is naked on the bed and the dong is going across, I, I keeled over. I laughed so bloody hard when that happened. I Call me juvenile, whatever. <laughs> and to be fair to Borat, there was a bit more going on in that movie. I, I do think that that's, that's kind of like... To be, I again, Sasha Baron Cohen is a little bit of an acquired taste, and I actually don't think that everything he does is great. But I do think with Borat, he managed to kind of key in to the that kind of comedy that Peter Sellers had, that kind of comedy, not that kind, but that brilliance of comedy that people like that had, that the Marx Brothers had in a different way. And he's kind of the counterweight to Archie Bunker. Like on the other side of the spectrum. Well, he's 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 exposing the rot of that in a very surrealistic, absurdist way. That's funny, and it allows you to laugh at it without necessarily um, becoming too aggravated or hostile with it. And so, yeah, I, I, I apologize to people listening that we kind of went off the fantasy track, but it's just too funny. Not we'll to. just pretend the Borat was one of the underrated horror films. <laughs> so to to take it a completely different level. Um, my next film is from 2012, a very, very dark film called Found. Have you seen Found? Found? It does not sound familiar to me. I don't think so. The IMDb synopsis isn't much. It just says a horror obsessed boy discovers his older brother is a serial killer. Oh my goodness. This is a lower budgeted film, but not too low that it's not watchable or anything. But... It's about a boy who's getting bullied at school. And he's got this these guys that are bugging him. He's got bullied. He's kind of a mind of a meek. 
at home, his parents are kind of not exactly their cup of tea. His brother finds out about it, and his brother kills the bully. Well, lo and behold, uh, he's the, the the boy is also a horror fan. He's a huge horror obsessed fan, and he gets videos from the local video store, like we all did. Is this the movie where he find where there's a human head in a closet? Yes. Oh my gosh! I this is a this is a dark movie. You've seen it now, I take it. Yes, it's all coming back as you were describing it. Him being the horror fan and everything. He's got his brother. He goes into his brother's closet. His brother's very protective. He's an uber macho male, and he says he's going to protect his brother. What have you? Just tell me who the guy is. Whatever. And then he's got his pal. They're watching these horror movies. His pal is making fun of him because he holds his head over some of the gory scenes. And they go into his brother's closet. And in a bowling bag is the bully's head. And it's not done in a comical way. It's not even really done in an ironic way. It's done in a reality way. And it's super realistic, my memory of the, 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 to the degree that they have a budget. The special effects are gruesome. Yeah, and and I've seen this a few times, and the parents kind of get the, the the dad is kind of on his side for a while, and then he gets on him, and at a certain point it just turns. If this wasn't enough, and the last twenty twenty five minutes are like, this is a horror film. Like there is no doubt that this is not a dark drama. This isn't a dark comedy. This, this is a horror film. And there will be some people that get turned off by this film after having watched it. You walk away with it feeling icky. There is no doubt about that. Yeah, this is a proceed with caution kind of movie. I think it gets extraordinarily dark and very, um, very bleak. And the the other aspect to it is there's the, 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 the boy, the main protagonist in the film, and he watches films from his local video store. And it's there's a film called Headless, which is a film within a film, and they later and it's like ultra gore, and they put out another film later, I don't know, a couple of years later called Headless, that I've seen a couple times as well. Kind of tells you my taste, and it's it will not be for everyone. Let's just put it that way. It will be for about ten percent of the audience, but the ten percent of the audience that likes to watch it will love the film Headless. If you're a gore hound. Check out Headless. But found, you know, for a low-budgeted film, the acting, I think, is pretty good. And the guy that plays the older brother, wow. Does he do a good job for what he, what the film is? But no, this is not for everybody. But if you like a dark, revenge-ish uh, type film, I would recommend this film. I think I would give this at least a seven and a half. I enjoy this film, but this is not a, let's just pop on a movie and watch it. No, this one was too much for me. <laughs> but I, I really think like there are certain screams and things that you hear that will stick with you. Well, I think that's the thing to mention here is this isn't while this isn't wall to wall gore, it doesn't that aspect of it doesn't matter because and correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. Maybe I, I don't think I was hiding my eyes, but it might have been. But my memory is that most of this violence, which is pretty reprehensible and pretty despicable and eventually it becomes almost all-consuming uh a lot of it though doesn't happen on screen is my memory it's a lot of what you hear or implication and that just makes it worse it's it's a lot of assumed violence it's a lot of let your imagination run away with it 
you almost get into the mind of the characters. What the hell's going on? What what would cause someone to do what happens? It's available, I see, on Tubi. So you can check it out. for If you have uh, internet connection, you can watch this. Um, I proceed with caution. But if you like it dark, if you like it gory, if you like one that will make you think and stick with you, I would recommend this. There's an undertone or a, th- or a thematic feel to this movie. It's, it's a coming-of-age story in a way, but it gets incredibly dark. Uh, and it, it's not – we're not talking Stephen King here. You know, uh, If you thought some of what King was doing in a movie like At Pupil, At Pupil looks like Sesame Street. Yeah, like, like like if you if you watch some of those seventy grindhouse films, this is reminiscent of a seventies grindhouse film with a better written script. Yes, yes, um, that's probably true. And and if this concept of the kind of killer at home element and the coming of age story with the the young boy appeals to you, but you don't want to put yourself through the misery of this film, <laughs> then I actually would recommend one that. Uh, that's on the I think on some of the streaming services now. It came out a year or two ago called the Clove Hitch Killer. Oh, uh, that good I, film, good. Yeah, that's that's disturbing in its own way, and it's got a great performance by uh, Dylan McDermott in there that I didn't see coming in terms of like what he pulls off. But that movie is probably if you're listening to this and you're thinking that sounds interesting, but man, I don't think I could you know sit through that one i would say try the clove hitch killer but that movie feels more like a darker more fearsome like lifetime channel movie i mean that in a good way i don't uh i'm not slagging on it it it's very character driven and you get the you get the unsettling and dark nature of of some of what's going on but it doesn't go into the full heart of darkness perhaps uh, Clovich Killer might even be a tad better. I I think it's the stronger movie, but it is not the it's not as visceral. <laughs> I didn't have Clovich Killer Killer in my list of fifty or whatever, but could it have easily made it? I enjoyed it. It made my top ten of the year. I was so surprised on, on how strong it was. And that year we had a couple of good movies that had that same theme. I think that year was also summer of eighty four, which I also I don't think it's underrated. Cause I think a decent number of people did enjoy it, but that's also a good one. I that was that made that was my personal number one film of the year. Yeah, that was fun. That one could almost really be a not gateway again for little kids, but a teens horror film. Like, uh, but that one has a little bit of a flip to the script too. It doesn't get nearly as dark as anything we've been talking about, but it um it does have a bit where you get your you're feeling like it's the Goonies, and then suddenly it gets a little bit darker than that. Yeah, it it, it begins kind of like a ramped up version of the Burbs, except yes. about. Except about 50 minutes in, it takes a sharp left turn. Well, yeah, it's like it actually goes and you suddenly remember that, wait, this is more like the real world than I than an 80s movie would have been. Yeah. But all three of those, I mean, I don't know. I To me, found didn't quite work, but I don't know. Perhaps it did work and it was just too much. To me, the movie was more unnerving when it was keeping to the basic serial killer format like that head in the in the closet is is really unsettling but eventually to me the movie did reach a a certain point when it just became there was so much of the gore and the unpleasantness that it kind of just overwhelmed it for me you know i started to sort of i almost became bored because i was so like off put by it but so so viewer beware uh if you're of a certain mindset you'll love it if you're not don't touch it. <laughs> right. Try the clove hitch killer. All right. So that is that. That's me then, right? 
Yep. Now I feel like I have to recommend Mary Poppins or something. Yeah. <laughs> On to Bambi. Let's go with a family-friendly movie because I always like to throw them in there, and we could probably use one just about now. Um, and it is fun, I think, to always put something out there for the movie you can watch with the kids. And these days, I've spent a lot of time watching movies with my kids. I, I am introducing them to horror just a little bit, you know, baby steps at a time into things. But um, a movie that I recently revisited and I had a lot of fun with, and that's one I never hear anybody talk about. Uh, and, and to be fair, the movies it was trying to ape were much stronger movies, and it's probably not as effective. But as, as a kid in the 80s, I really enjoyed it. It's called Haunted Honeymoon. Did you ever see this movie? Oh, gosh. Mid-80s? Yeah, I do remember it. More slapsticky. A little bit. So it basically, Wilder actually directs this one. He's in it, but he directs it. And you can kind of tell that this is him kind of taking a stab, I think, at can he make his own young Frankenstein? You know, I think that he's he's worked with uh, he's worked with Brooks enough by this point that I think he's thinking, hey, I can kind of, I wonder if I can do that, if I can replicate that. And it's actually a very different movie than Brooks would have made. Um, both you know, both positive and uh, negative, but it's interesting. It's 1986. It really fits more into that level of like movies like Clue and Clue. Now is much more well known, but I think none of them were hits when they came out. Uh, I was going to say Transylvania six five thousand. Transylvania six five thousand. That's even a lot of that's a little bit lower uh, bottom of the barrel. Uh, but uh, because of Jeff Goldblum, I remember that. And what I really remember about that movie was Gina Davis's vampire getup, um, which is that that's the image that pops into my mind whenever I think of Transylvania six five thousand. And you can tell because I'm giggling right now. But anyway, uh, the other one was The Private Eyes. Did you ever see that with Tim Conway and uh, Don Knotts? Uh, maybe impossible. Solve, solve a mystery in an old English manner. And I, mean, I was going to say the other one is Top Secret. Top Secret, yeah, Top Secret. So it's it's not remote, remotely like uh, horror or gothic themed, but that's a fun one. I like that one a lot actually. With Haunted Honeymoon, though, it's not it's not that Zucker Brothers or Top Secret or even uh, it's not quite like the slapstick spoof humor. Uh, in fact, it's trying to tell an actual story. But it is sort of playing off of those old radio drama plays. And in fact, the the characters in the movie, it's Gene Wilder and Gilda Radner, and they are like voice actors who do a radio program. They're doing like uh, like Pulp Theater or, you know, The Shadow, their kind of thing. They're doing these, uh, in fact, the opening of the movie is a dramatization of one of their horror stories. And then they're getting married and they end up going to this family reunion at this castle where he's his character Wilder's character is uh, trying to get him to he's got a fear uh, that is preventing him from really committing to things and so he's like oh you need to go get a good scare so he goes to this mansion when he gets to the mansion Dom DeLuise is the matriarch <laughs> in full full old lady kind of uh, outfitting Jonathan Price is in the movie I mean you have a pretty big cast uh, uh that you would expect in this kind of a movie and it's fun and it even it brings in this werewolf story uh that you're never quite sure is there a werewolf or is all of this sort of a scooby-doo-esque mystery you know is is what's happening here not what's really happening and there's a zaniness to it but it is not the slapstick zaniness where it's constantly trying to take you out of reality it just has a kind of 
uh, low-key kind of gentle zaniness because it is trying to tell a little bit of a slightly spooky story. And if, so Haunted Honeymoon, if you're looking for something you can watch with the kids and you, you've maybe you've already seen Clue and you're looking for something like Clue, this is, a, this is one that's better than its reputation, uh, I think, has allowed it to be. And if you, it, it reminds me of a movie that I actually didn't care much for at all. Did you ever see Nothing But Trouble? Had yes, John... yes, 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 and Candy is in that. Yeah, Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. And that one, what they were trying to do in that movie is kind of what they're doing here in Haunted Honeymoon. I think it works better in this movie. As much as I love the actors we just mentioned in the other movie, I could take or leave Chevy Chase. But Chevy Chase in the 80s, you know, and some of the 90s, he had some good stuff. But this movie, it does work. It's, it's just not, I don't think that, I think people were expecting a, Mel Brooks Laughathon, and what they got was kind of a gentle, fun murder mystery with some spooky werewolf uh, themes to it. So I recommend Haunted Honeymoon for people who they want to have something to watch with their kids, they want to have a good time, and they want something that creates the ambiance of maybe Halloween without traumatizing kids. Wow, you just took me back. I think I saw nothing but trouble in the theater. That To me, that's a movie where everything just kind of goes wrong in terms of like, I just kept being off-put by what was happening. I, I remember him with the train, that little train that went around the dinner table with the sausages hanging off of it. I'm like, no thanks. I, I was such a big John Candy fan that I, you know, I was uh, at an age where I could watch it. I remember going, eh, I don't know, but it's a John Candy movie, so how bad can it be? Right? That's kind of how I was with John Candy. I watched everything he did, and unfortunately, at this time frame of nothing but trouble, he was kind of a hit or miss. You know, you get a Delirious or a Who's Harry Crumb or something like that, and you were never sure. What you know? How good it was going to be? But, but, yeah, uh, uh, Hollywood. Uh, sorry, uh, Haunted Honeymoon. I definitely have to check it because I literally haven't seen it if it wasn't in a v- VHS tape. And it's one that's not too. The nice thing is it's not very spooky, and I'm not even sure if it is anywhere streaming. It's good. They they're selling uh you know DVDs and Blu-rays of it, but I'm not sure if it's uh online or not in terms of uh, of streaming. But if you can find it, it's it's a lot of fun. And it is a movie that you could sit and watch with your kids, because it's a it's rated PG, so it might be a little spooky for very very young kids. But you know, my kids they really enjoyed it and they had a fun time with it. It's about the level of Clue. If you can handle Clue, I think you can handle Haunted Honeymoon. So, it's almost okay. it's almost got that take of a film noir ish. Well, yeah, like not even I think it's more the old Dark House, and in fact, the movie the old Dark House, the old James Whale movie. Uh, if you ever saw that with Boris Karloff, is like the inspiration for lurch that movie is probably very close to what this movie is it's not quite noir but it's closer to the pulpy radio drama you know the of like mystery hour theater or something like that you know you think of uh of that kind of a story uh like an agatha christie but with a few supernatural spins on it a little more a little more comedy but yeah 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 it's it is totally a comedy in the sense that you aren't you're going to watch this for scares, but for a kid who's who hasn't been exposed to a lot of spooky stuff, they can get the spookiness and then they can get some slapsticky silliness. Yeah, I got you. Alrighty, so for my last film, I'm going to get on my soapbox. And for the first three films I did, they were all 2007, 2012-ish range. Because those are ones that are more directly into my head because I saw them within the last 15 years. This one goes back to my wheelhouse. And this is 1971. And this is a film that isn't directly considered horror. But it's as spooky and as dark as 
any film I'll see. And I defy anybody who has seen this film not to agree with me. And this is uh, based on a true life event. This is called 10 Rillington Place. I knew this is where you were going. And, <laughs> and I'm, you've seen it, have you, Nathan? I have. You've, you have taken this underrated horror thing to a much darker level than I ever went. And, 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 and I, don't, I didn't even think of it as dark. Although yeah, I, it is very dark. It, dark, sobering story, but it's, it's based on actual events. And I think they were relatively faithful to the events. Like they didn't pull a, this is loosely based on, this is re- taken from it. I'll give you the IMDB, then I'll give you my synopsis. Uh, IMDB is based on the real-life case of the British serial killer John Christie and what happened to his neighbors, Tim and Beryl Evans. Well, this is just after World War II has happened. I think it's 1949, early 50s, somewhere in that range in England. They've just dealt with the Blitz and all that has been dealt with. And England is kind of in, uh, they've won the war, but they're kind of in shambles. The economy's getting back together. Uh, people are just starting to get back on their way. And this John Reginald Christie, John Reginald Christie worked various odd jobs. I think he worked in the mail department. He worked as a police officer and he came up with this story of, he was a military man who had some medical background. He never claims to be a doctor, but he claims he knows what to have done. He's this little old balding man in his mid-50s, very unassuming, looks like grandpa that works at the library. He would, him, and he lived in a rooming house in this tenement building in London, 10 Rillington Place. Very lower scale. People didn't have a lot of money. People were buying and renting apartments on the cheap. And he was known with this medical background. So women that were in, let's say the family way who wanted to dispose of a pregnancy. And back then preg- uh, abortions were illegal. He would do backdoor abortions. Now, John Reginald Christie was played by Richard Attenborough and Judy Geeson plays this young pregnant woman who says, you know, I need some help here. And I'm not going to get into every detail, but he gets ether and he covers her face and he kills her very matter of factly. And he's got a very staid voice. He's very procedural. He does it by the book. His voice is haunting. When you see what he does to the woman, he literally just puts her under and kills her. Now, in real life, he also had sexually assaulted a bunch of women while this was happening. But they didn't really portray this so much in the film because I've done my research on the guy. I've seen this half a dozen times. I love this film. And then John Hurt plays the neighbor, and he's the the husband of Judy Geeson. And Sir Richard Attenborough realizes that John Hurt is not of the same intellectual property or property, intellectual level that everyone else is. He's what you'd call a simple man. He does a simple labor's job. His wife is pregnant. He doesn't know what to do. He ends up taking the fall. And he goes to prison and he gets hung. And his hanging is 
changed the British law for people that get convicted of capital crimes. It is absolutely brilliant. John Hurt plays this man who is in beside himself. He doesn't know what to do. They catch Christie in a very disgusting manner. The the way that he portrayed he is portrayed and the way he goes about the crime, I cannot speak highly enough about this film. And I guarantee out of all a hundred people on the street who claim to be cinephiles, ninety-eight of them have not seen Ten Rillington Place. And it's a bloody shame. This film needs to be seen. It's on Prime Video right now. Turn off the lights. Watch it with your wife. Watch it by yourself. It needs to be watched. This is a very good movie. And one of the most interesting things about it is uh, it's, it, the, you know, it's directed by Richard Fleischer, who if anyone ever had a weirder up-and-down career, it was this guy. You know, If you look at his filmography... You couldn't even you you watch one movie and you wouldn't know that he made the other one. You know, I mean, his filmography is filled with classics, and this is probably one of the best ones on there. It, it's it's filled with movies that whether you think they should have or not that won the best picture. You know, I mean, he's he did Doctor Doolittle, he did Fantastic Vo- or we're up for best picture. He did Doctor Doolittle, he did the Fanta- Fantastic Voyage. Uh, you know, but then he's also done you know movies like he did the jazz singer but then he's done movies like amityville 3d and conan the destroyer and you know uh but he's done soylent green and then somewhere in all of this and torah 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 and then in this he's got this movie that's far more understated in some ways but devastating in other ways dramatically devastating because you're right this is not a horror film at all in a in the traditional sense there's not blood or gore. It's not even quite like I didn't even think it called a suspense thriller. It's just a it's a chilling portrait of sort of the tragedy and banality of evil. You know, of real evil. And it's not sensationalized, which makes those scenes you're talking about so much more chilling. That like the clinical way. And of course, Attenborough you know, had a great and storied career, but if you are listening to us, you probably are going to immediately think Richard Attenborough. That's, you know, kindly John Hammond from Jurassic Park. And he is so disturbing in this movie. His performance is just so, um, it's unnerving. And it's not out of place, but we were talking about like the Clove Hitch Killer and, and, and stuff like that. Like, there's very rarely do I see a movie, I think, where a person is portraying a killer. Uh, the the Dutch version of The Vanishing would be another movie where you just get this impression that this is this facade doesn't go very deep and you can see the kind of person they are showing through, but they walk around fooling just enough people that they're able to kind of continue doing this. And Hurt is darn right tragic in this movie. Yeah, I think I think I don't know how this didn't get any Oscar buzz or John Hurt or Attenborough or even Judy Geeson played it. A, a good role and there's it's one of those movies that it's got like four characters it is very econ- economical in that kind of way i think honestly because even at 71 and this being you know the, the thing that would have prevented us from being mainstream is just the dark subject matter you know really because you're dealing with the back alley uh, abortions that murder is very difficult to watch the hanging and the things that happen in regards to hurt are difficult to watch and i think it just might have been too overall dark and the thing about the thing about Fleischer is he doesn't sensationalize he doesn't even 
He doesn't even make it so artsy that you can s- stand above it. You're just kind of down in it. Most, most of these kind of films play it up. I actually think that Flesher downplayed it. Well, yeah, he does, and it makes that makes it harder to deal with, I think, because you don't have the kind of thrill of watching are we going to capture Hannibal Lecter you know what I mean uh it doesn't become it doesn't give you any other emotions to deal with other than just a kind of sickening stomach rot you feel while you're watching it and again this is not to say that it's a it's a vile movie or anything it just really hones in on who these people are and or particularly this character and he is not he's not the kind of guy you want to get into the proximity of and, and to give an extreme spoiler, he gets apprehended at the end. But the manner in which he was caught. Yeah. Like, wow. That's all I'll say. You, you got to watch this film. I don't care what you do. Disregard everything I've said so far, but you got to watch 10 Rillington plays. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and it's it's a very good movie. Uh, you won't really be able to ever look at Attenborough the same way again. <laughs> No, that's for sure. Um, um, and the other thing I will say, though, um, yeah, it Hurt, he's, I don't know that John Hurt probably ever gave a bad performance, honestly. Like, was Hurt in bad movies? Sure. But I, I was sitting here thinking, and I was just thinking to the other day, and sad that he was gone, because he's such a great actor, and he really did have a lot of range. And this is probably one of his best performances, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I just can't say enough about it. No, that's a great call. Um, it's a, it's again, it's kind of heavy. It's definitely not one you're going to watch with the kids. <laughs> no, and, and I mean, you might not even want to watch it with your partner, depending upon the mood you're. You know, it's, it's one of those ones where, yeah, you'll have to take a shower afterwards, but in, in a way, it has a happy ending. In a sense, in a sense, not not for Timothy Evans, obviously, but but yeah, <laughs> no, obviously sense. not. Um, but uh, it is very dramatically interesting, and yeah, this is when you do not have to you, you don't have to like horror movies in order to to appreciate this movie because it isn't really. But I definitely think that it fits because it's um, it to me these are the kinds of things that scare me. You know what I mean? I I go to the monsters and the ghosts for for escapism, and this is not escapism. <laughs> if, if you liked Henry Portrait of the Serial Killer, you might find a connection to that. This to me is probably the spookiest quote-unquote non-horror film you're gonna watch yeah in terms of the real life like for if, if there's someone who gravitates to that real life crime or that real life horror murder kind of thing you know yes this is pretty um this is pretty intense so are you gonna do casper next Beetle, so, so, beetlejuice 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 be, well beetlejuice is a lot of fun you could have a you you saw that the drive-in too right beetlejuice yeah I did. Yeah, yeah um and i'll wrap this up real quick uh i try to every um every time we've done this in the past always try to find a val luton movie to talk about because i think val luton was great and he he's done a lot of different movies and one of my favorites, and I think it's, I do believe it's underrated, because I, we talk about Val Luton, lots of times people talk about, you'll hear Cat People mentioned, which is one of my all-time favorite horror movies. You've seen the Cat People, right, Bill? Um, great, great use of things that, that Luton, who is a producer, mind you, he wasn't the director, uh, Jacques Tourner was the director of that movie, and the one I'm about to mention. And he was also a, a director of probably what one of the, the other famous Luton movies, which was I Walked With a Zombie. And I walked, oh yeah, yeah. That's like a masterpiece in my my uh, opinion. But walked, I walked with a zombie and cat people. They're 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 short films. They're barely over an hour. Uh, in fact, the movie I'm about to talk about is barely over an hour. 
And both of those movies are such a great example of doing a lot uh, atmospherically and suspense-wise with very little. It's all about mood and about uh, intonation and all about kind of hinting at things and suggestion. And there's that scene where a woman is possibly being stalked by initially a person and then maybe now it's a panther. And that stuff is just very, very creepy the way it's done in that movie. And then I walked with a zombie that has this long extended sequence where this this woman is walking with a potentially dead body who has gotten up and is now wandering into the jungle and she's there with it. I mean, the, this makes your skin crawl even in 1940s in this black and white. You know, it's still creepy today. But this movie I don't hear mentioned very much. And in some ways, I've, I film like kind of uh, film theorists and film, you know, students have pointed to this movie as almost being a proto-slasher in a way. And I can see that. I don't know if I completely agree, but this is called The Leopard Man. Have you seen this movie? I have not. Please tell me about it. This one, I would definitely, and Bill, if you can get this one in for your Halloween viewing, this is a terrific movie this is Jacques Tourner and Val Luton and it's a few years after not a year or so it's still in that same time frame for the movies we talked about and 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 they were kind of churning them out at this point so the leopard man it, it deals with you've got this kind of southwest town kind of near Mexico and you've got this the town has kind of come under murders there are murders going on and they're not quite sure what's happening there are women who are being mauled and at first glance it's okay there's an animal here and then you feel like you're in the cat people territory possibly because the someone is killing them but then there's a possibility is it a person is it not a person you know is there is it a werewolf or a transformational kind of scenario going on but the movie again much like those other ones i mentioned it keeps everything very suggestive and very vague about what's actually happening but in this movie you really feel like that kind of uh, muggy like southwest like night and you've got another scene where you've got one point you've got a woman trying to make her way home and in this one there's mur there are murders happening so you know there's this threat and some of the shots some of the compositions start to remind you. You can look at compositions in this movie and you can say, hey, you know, I can see that John Carpenter will eventually make compositions like this when he makes Halloween. That Bob Clark does kind of some of these same compositions where looking around the angle of something and, 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 and there's a space where a person shouldn't be and yet we are looking down in that space. You know, the kind of things he did in Black Christmas and all of those being, again, the kind of early segue into what we consider the full slasher you see you see elements and tropes that get used show up in this movie and people weren't making movies like that in 1942 now that's not to say that this is a slasher in the sense that you see people getting stabbed or anything like that but you can see the 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 kind of beginnings the outline if you will the, the the basic like uh, scaffolding of what would become the slasher genre and i think it's a really good movie it's good just as a sort of mer mystery thriller uh suspense film 
and it does have it does have the horror elements but the leopard man i think it's one of his probably most underrated movies because i just don't hear people talk about it that much interesting that you mentioned that because kind of the way you described it uh kind of proto slasher-esque uh, i mean most people kind of start with peeping tom which is 1960 right which is 1960 so this yeah, is a yeah. good what 18 years earlier when i think the difference is with peeping tom there's a lot more of that movie that has everything you can kind of check off the box and say oh yeah it's kind of is a slasher this tends to be more into the murder mystery kind of category but you can see it's doing things that your average murder mystery wouldn't have done it starts to place that vulnerable woman walk you know not just what was happening in the cat people but now you've got here's a town there's a murderer and i'm on this lonely street by myself and you start to see the it's more about the shots and the and the weird way he plays with the tension that reminds you of, of those movies. So yeah, do, is it, I don't think it is a proto slasher, but I think it has some of the first real traces of it where you can see this will show up again later. And it makes it very different from the cat people or I walked with a zombie in that regard. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to look this up. I guarantee I have to check this one in, but it's very, very good. It's one of my favorites uh, of, of Luton's movies and and I tend to like him anyway. I just his sensibility, which is less is more, kind of does resonate with me in terms of horror. I just I just checked. It is a version on YouTube. I haven't seen oh. it. I I can't I can't attest to anything other than yeah. it's listed. The one thing I will say with this, in in any case where you can, if you can see it, one of Luton's movies in a, in a good format, you know, you don't want to watch a muddy copy. The crispness of the black and white and things like that, they really do make a difference and i will say and i don't know i don't know price wise but i do know that um i do know that a few years back and this is how i have the movie that they released a luton box set the dvd series and and it even culminated i want to say with a martin scorsese did a like a documentary about luton on this series and it was every dvd had like two movies on it so cat people and curse of the cat people were on one and uh leopard man and ghost ship i think were on another and so you can get the copies out there of this movie but it and all of luton's movies i think even the ones that aren't like amazing i think all of them are absolutely worth seeing and he did he had a couple with karloff he did bedlam and he did uh the body snatcher and the isle of the dead they're all good movies yeah, I've seen I've seen Isle of the Dead. That's a cool one too. That's it's a little understated. I don't know if it goes full horror, but it's a cool movie. It's very atmospheric. Yep. Okay. Well, Bill, I think that's four for each of us, right? Yeah, that's it. I only have forty two more to go. <laughs> forty two more to go. And I think, you know, uh I think we will try to do a, a couple more of these as we go through um we're gonna try to do at least one more as we go through the month, but had a lot of fun and Again, I think that you would love to hear from you what you guys are watching for the October uh, time frame. I, any of the movies that we mentioned today, I think would make a, you know, make sure you know your audience and make sure you know yourself for a couple of these, what you can handle and what you could deal with. But um, yeah, there's some, there's some really good stuff here. And then there's some stuff, you know, you just watch for fun. You want to, you want to have a, a bunch of people over and have a fun Halloween time. Try, you know, uh, Idle Hands or, or, or something like that. You want to see a really good movie about the nature of evil, watch 10 Rillington Place. I was going to say, you want your friends, have a few beers, have some pop, throw in Found and see how that goes down. 
that it's going to depend on your friends. Uh, <laughs> our friends, our friends, uh, Bill will probably be okay. Uh, before we go again, Bill, where else can people find you online or on podcasts? On the various podcasts that I'm on. The main one is Land of the Creeps with Dave, Dr. Shock Becker, and Greg Morgan, Greg Amortis, the immortal podcaster who's been running this so these episodes for eight years now we're all encompassing if you like horror a little bit or you like horror a lot you're going to find something go to the facebook page go to make a phone call we record the calls and play the calls and give shout outs off twitter so come on and join on in uh and i'm sometimes on uh father and son watch horror with matt and jackson they're awesome people i always give a shout out to real talk boys tommy gabe and wes and anything, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Letterboxd. All the links are here. If people have anything they think we should watch, please throw it onto the Facebook page. I really love this underrated concept. I think it's going to be a great, fun series. Uh, that Facebook page is over at Phantom Galaxy. You can find it at Phantom Galaxy. And we are also on Twitter at Phantom Galaxy with an F, F-A-N-T-O-M, Galaxy, at Twitter. And then you can also, if you have something that you want to send to us, you can contact us at phantomcasts at gmail.com. You can send us anything, including recommendations or if there's anything at all that you want to discuss. We're there. And then uh, you can find Phantom Galaxy at phantomgalaxy.podbean.com. Our episodes are up there and various other places on a lot of the uh, uh, podcatchers you can find us. Uh, You can also go over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave us a review. That helps out quite a bit. And uh, every every, uh, positive review does sort of increase our standing and allows us to get out to more people. And otherwise, this is the Phantom Galaxy signing out. Take care. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.